This is WQA Radio, a podcast from the Water Quality Association, the leading voice of the water treatment industry. And hello, I'm your host, Wes Bleed. So there were many, many missed opportunities to to stop this crisis, to never have it happen in the first place, Um, and it all reflects really our denial and dismissal of science. That's Dr. Mona Hanna-Atisha, the pediatrician who helped bring to light the lead crisis in Flint, Michigan. And welcome to another episode of WQA Radio, news and insights about residential, commercial, and industrial water treatment. Find us at wqa.org and on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. This is podcast number 90. And if you're a first-time listener, we're glad you joined us. If you've been with us before, certainly welcome back. In this episode, we talk with Dr. Mona, as she likes to be called, about how she was able to detect the elevated lead levels in the blood of children in Flint, leading her to conclude that public drinking water was the problem. She talks about her new book and where she's focusing her efforts three years after Flint. And later, we'll have our WQA tip. Now, on to my conversation with Dr. Mona Hanna-Atisha on WQA Radio. Well, Dr. Mona, nice to have you on the program. Thank you so much for joining us. It is great to be with you. You have written a book called What the Eyes Don't See, A Story of Crisis, Resistance, and Hope in an American City. And we're so pleased that you can talk a little bit about that, about your research into the Flint, Michigan crisis, and how it all began. So let me just begin by, first of all, thanking you for your research and what you've done for the people of Flint. And then let me ask you to take us back three years when you went public with the information that you were able to uh, bring out about the elevated blood levels in Flint children. How did that all take place? Yeah, so it was very much by serendipity. Um, So I'm a pediatrician here in Flint. I spend my every day taking care of, um, really privileged to take care of the children of Flint. Um, And I also have a role as a medical educator. Uh, for about a year and a half, I had been hearing stories about the water, um, about bacteria and color and odor and different concerns that people would raise. Uh, patients would come to clinic and their moms would ask, is it okay for me to bathe my baby in this water? You know, she gets a rash whenever she's in this water. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's okay. You know, the state, everybody says it's okay. Uh, moms would come in with their newborns on, on powdered formula and ask, is it okay that I, I mix my baby's formula uh, with this tap water. And I would always respond, of course it's okay. This is America, the richest country in the history of the world. This is Michigan. And for those listeners out there, Michigan is, is literally in the middle of the Great Lakes, the largest source of fresh water in the world. Um, but really none of that mattered because, of course, there's, there's rules and regulations and there's people whose job is to make sure that our drinking water is, is safe for all. Um, so for about a year and a half, my, my eyes were closed. I was very much drinking the Kool-Aid, believing that the water was fine. And that all changed in the, in the summer of 2015 when really pure serendipity, um, a high school girlfriend of mine, her name is Elin Batanzo, um, came over. She is a drinking water expert, um, environmental engineer, formerly with the EPA, Office of Drinking Water. 
Uh, we've known each other, you know, for decades. Uh, we had we planned a last-minute barbecue. Our kids were playing together, um, and she cornered me in my kitchen, and she's like, hey, Mona, what have you heard about the water? I'm like, oh, yeah, and I've heard about these complaints, but everybody says it's okay. Uh, how could it not be okay? And, you know, she shared what she knew. Um, she shared that she had seen a, a memo from a former colleague of hers at the EPA, Miguel Del Toro, that really walked through um, what was happening in Flint, that the water wasn't being treated properly. It was missing corrosion control. And, and without that corrosion control, um, there would likely be lead in the water. And that moment in my kitchen on a late summer evening was the very first time that I heard the mention of lead in the water. Um, and when a pediatrician, when anybody in public health is um, hears lead, it's, it's, there's no going back. There's only going forward because we know what it does to children. And, and so you were able to put together the research in a relatively short time, I take it. Yeah, so, you know, the book really walks through the, the fast pace, uh, you know, page-turning kind of drama that happened in that one-month period. It was one month of around-the-clock research. From the moment that I found out there was a possibility of lead in the water, I knew I needed the data. I knew I needed the, the evidence, the, the science that that lead in the water was getting into the bodies of our children. I knew that I needed that proof of impact for anything to change. And um, that research happened in record speed. We looked at the lead levels of children that were already done part of routine screening. We compared them to what was happening before the water switch, to what was happening after the water switch. Um, and really contrary to everything in the nation, in the state, and even in the city of Flint where lead levels have been coming down for the last few years, um, we saw an increase in, in children's lead levels. It was worse in areas that had the highest water lead levels, and we also noted that there was nothing happening outside of the city drinking water limits. Uh, so we, we did something that doctors aren't supposed to do. Um, academics, researchers, you know, you are supposed to share your research in a peer review process. Uh, you're supposed to get research published in journals, at conferences, uh, but we, that takes time and the children of Flint did not have another day. So really, kind of in, a, in an act of academic disobedience, we shared this research publicly at a press conference in the hospital, um, calling on, on the state to, to declare a health advisory and to get us back on treated Great Lakes water. And you were actually met with a fair amount of opposition or resistance, as the title of your book puts it, from public officials. Uh, did you expect that, and, and how did you deal with it? Yeah, you know, I, I did expect it. Everybody who had raised concerns about the water had been really dismissed and denied by the state. Uh, the amazing moms and, and the activists, the pastors, journalists, uh, water experts who clearly showed very transparently that there was lead in the water. Everybody in the story had been attacked when they raised concerns. So I, I expected to have a little bit of pushback, but, but nothing can prepare you um, for, for what it's like when really the entire state and multiple arms of the state tell you that you're wrong. Um, they called um, my research, uh, they said my research was being sliced and diced, that I was an unfortunate researcher causing hysteria, um, and that, that the state's numbers, because the state has all this data, uh, was not consistent with, with my numbers. So. Um, you know, it, nothing, nothing can prepare you for that. And, and, and at one point, I believed them. I, I thought I screwed up. I thought I was wrong. I doubted myself. 
And, you know, then, you know, I kind of woke up and I realized that every single data point, every every fact in my research, every number was not just a number. It was it was a kid. It was a child. It was a child who, as a pediatrician, I've taken an oath to protect. Um, and those kids got me back in this in this fight, and we fought back with with more numbers, with more science, with more evidence um, that our children were being exposed to lead from the drinking water. Uh, and ultimately, it was our science that spoke truth to power, and the, and the state finally conceded. But but my science, um, my science was was unnecessary. Um, it never should have gotten to the point where you needed my science of of children's lead levels to end this crisis. Uh, common sense science was dismissed from the be- very beginning, the science of not treating this water properly. But, you know, just a few months into this water switch, General Motors, which was born in Flint, has, still has plants in Flint, stopped using this water because it was corroding their engine parts. You know, and that was a full year prior to my research. So there were many, many missed opportunities to, to stop this crisis, to never have it happen in the first place. Um, and it all reflects really our denial and dismissal of science. And so now we come around to today. The book is out. Um, why did you write it? And what is your expectation or hope in having people read this? Yeah, so, I, you know, I started writing this book about two years ago. And I knew even back then that we would need a way to shine a spotlight back on Flint. Um, Our issues are long-term issues. We are actually still in a public health advisory. The people of Flint are still recommended to drink filtered water and and bottled water um, until our pipes are replaced. And we are about midway through uh, our pipe replacement process, and that's amazing. There's only two other cities in the country that have replaced their lead pipes, Lansing, Michigan, and Madison, Wisconsin, and Flint will be the third. And we're doing it really in, in record time. We'll be done by 2020. The other cities took over a decade. So one of the reasons I wrote this book was to, to really remind folks that this is, this is not just a Flint issue. Um, the issue of, of drinking water quality is an everywhere issue. Uh, almost every week we are hearing about, you know, either a new school district or a new community that is testing and finding, for example, lead in the water. And now we're, you know, we're hearing about all the, the PFAS issues. Uh, so it is a time really for us to, to strengthen the regulations that protect our drinking water, for a lot of these regulations to catch up with the science uh, in regards to, especially to lead, where we now know there is no safe level of lead. Um, but this book is, is so much more than, than just about water. You know, the title of the book is What the Eyes Don't See, which is the very literal, we don't see lead in water, it's invisible. We also don't see the effects of lead. It's known as a silent pediatric epidemic. But, but the title refers to, to more than that. It's about people, it's about places, it is about problems that we choose not to see. It's, it's about our blindness to a lot of issues that are happening all over the place. It's about the power that we all have, no matter what we do, where we are, how long we've been in this country, to, to make the lives of, of our vul- most vulnerable populations better. Um, and that is really the oath that we all took as, as human beings, as, as citizens of this country, um, to improve the, you know, the welfare of our communities. Well, WQA members in the water treatment industry overall really has a sense uh, that, that we offer hope as well because we know that filtration does work. And uh, you know, how do you think we can continue to have an impact in places like Flint? Absolutely. So, you know, 
part of the lessons of this book and this story is the power of, of team. Uh, this book is not about me. This is, this is a book about, you know, a, a ragtag team that came together to, to fix an issue and to make, you know, Flint a better place. Um, and I think my best friend in this story was a water expert, you know, several best friends were water experts. And so often we live in our professional silos. And, you know, as a pediatrician, I didn't think anybody cared about kids more than pediatricians. And I was proven wrong time and time again because my best friends in the water industry took their duty seriously and they knew that providing safe drinking water um, was also about protecting children um, and, and, you know, and about caring for kids. So I think it's important for us to, to reach out to other disciplines and recognize that we have that common purpose. And, and your work and my work is also is the same. It's about public health, um, and it's providing you know, a, a safe resource for our, our community. The new book is What the Eyes Don't See, a story of crisis, resistance, and hope in an American city by Dr. Mona Hannah Atisha. She prefers to be called Dr. Mona. Uh, and uh, thank you so much, Dr. Mona, for joining us on the WQA radio podcast. So great to uh, be able to talk to you and, and get that firsthand perspective as to what happened back in Flint and also the ongoing research and monitoring that you're continuing to do there and uh, as far as other uh, areas as well. We appreciate it so much. Thank you. It's great to be with you, and a special thank you to all your listeners who um, who are, are doing their amazing profession to, to make sure that what comes out of our tap is safe. A huge thank you. And now this week's WQA tip. Are you prepared for an emergency at your business? That's the subject of our next WQA Essentials webinar. From weather-related disasters to data breaches to a warehouse fire, Richard Cook of Culligan International covers the importance of having an emergency preparedness plan and what that plan should include. Cook leads an hour-long session beginning at noon Eastern Daylight Time, 11 o'clock Central, on Wednesday, October 31st. Register at wqa.org slash webinars. Thanks for listening to WQA Radio, news and insights about residential, commercial, and industrial water treatment. Remember, you can subscribe to WQA Radio on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Just search for WQA Radio, then hit subscribe. Each new podcast will appear in your podcast catcher or podcast player automatically each week. That's the magic of podcasting. And be sure to rate and review the podcast as well. Learn more about water at wqa.org and learn more about WQA product certification, professional certification, and how you can become a member at wqa.org. This is Wes Bleed. So long from WQA Radio. WQA Radio.